Holy crap. A new introduction to the podcast. But for real, though, the rest of it will come after this. I just want to thank you guys. Um, all the five-star ratings that we're getting on all the podcast apps is awesome. And I appreciate it when I hear people telling me that someone else told them about the podcast. So you guys rock. Uh, listen to commercials or skip by them. It's cool. And your episode's on its way. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available, American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 equip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 equip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. What is up, y'all? We are back with another episode of the Squared Away podcast, and we are here with Magda K. Magda, you're from, you're in Warsaw, right? Yes, Poland? I'm in Warsaw, Poland. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So I'll give you a little background on what on what our podcast is, is our podcast is called Squared Away. The idea is that there are four pillars to your personal fitness, your mental, your physical, your emotional, and your spiritual. And we are constantly looking to perpetually help people improve those four pillars. So we kind of break down our our knowledge base and our podcast as far as what we can do to help everybody with more information, inspiration, motivation, everything for those four pillars. And when I saw that you reached out to me and, and were curious about getting on the podcast, I was like, oh, this is, this is great. We, we haven't done anything like this. We've, we've we joked about it. <laughs> we did joke about it. Personally, we've done an episode that went kind of down this, this little bit of an alley. But to get, to get the professional opinion and to get um, the woman's opinion, I think, is going to be imperative. So first off, before we get into 
what you do. Why don't you give us your background, where you're from, what your childhood was like? Let's let's get into like who you really are first. Childhood right away. Let's talk about trauma. Of course. <laughs> um, so, yes, I'm from Poland. And um, I mean, yeah, when people ask me, so like, you know, how did you end up doing what you do? And I always say like, you know, when I was young, I dreamt of talking about sex for a living. No, <laughs> of course not. So um, it's really interesting when I look at my life and how it brought me to where I am today. So I look all in all, I had a good life. I had a good life, which made me it made it difficult for me to actually understand that there was a lot of toxicity in this life as well. So starting from my childhood, I was raised without a single example of a happy couple. I was extremely cynical about love. Um, I stay away from love until I was 27. So I was, you know, since I was a little girl, I just saw a dynamic that I never, ever wanted to be a part of. And I didn't realize that. And I was just living my life. You know, I went into business, like you know, to business school and I worked for big corporations. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. This, you know, super career focused woman. And in my early 20s, um, I got some bad test results. Uh, they thought I had cancer. I think I was like maybe 22. So they thought I had cancer. Um, I was deeply unhappy. And so many things happened. And I kind of had my midlife crisis at 25. And that's when a lot of things changed. I left Europe. I went to Asia, like discovered personal growth, energy work, yoga, all of it. And it just totally changed the direction of my life, eventually bringing me to Tantra, Tantric communities doing crazy, like, you know, really it was a sex code. Let's, let's call it what it was, to be honest. So I went all the way there and I did some beautiful practices and I learned so much. And so now I'm bringing this back more into the Western world, you know, to let's just call it normal people who don't necessarily want to live in a sex cult. So I, I had this kind of like interesting path, I think, in life um, where the thing I think my biggest wound at the same time is my biggest gift. So I'm still working on myself. There are still wounds in my body that I'm trying to overcome and heal. And at the same time, this is the biggest gift that I have also to share to other people. What was the draw to Asia? How did you end up there? Oh, my goodness. Um, so, okay. So I, at this time, I'm living in Milan, Italy. I'm having a great life. And this is when I got this, these bad test results. And at the same time, my grandma died. And I don't know what it was about her death. I was very close to her. It was the first death in my family. And just something like changed in my body. And that's when I realized I'm not happy. Again, I'm, we're talking like early 20s, right? I'm not happy. But a few years before that, my father, he had gone bankrupt. So I was in a very tight financial situation. So I'm just like analyzing everything. And I'm like, okay, I can afford to take a break from work for two months. Like more than that. And I don't have money for food or, you know, housing, but I can do two months. So that was the idea, right? I'm going to quit my job and just give myself two months to figure out my life. So I figured, well, I could do it in Poland. It's kind of gray and sad, or I could do it in a nicer location. And so I went on Facebook. These are, you know, kind of the beginnings of using Facebook. I went on Facebook and I'm looking, so where are my friends? And one of my friends, um, she was living in Malaysia. 
I didn't even know where Malaysia was, to be honest. But I'm just looking at it. Well, it's a nice tropical country. Why not? So I message her with the intention that she's going to invite me over. You know, it's like she's going to say, oh, just come over. You can stay at my place. She never offered. <laughs> she never offered to host me. But she told me about her comp- the company she was working for. And maybe you guys are familiar with it. It's Mind Valley, which today it's pretty big in personal development. So she told me about this company and I was like, that sounds really cool. And within like two, three months, I applied. I had all my, you know, job interviews and here I am on a plane moving to Malaysia. And this is how I ended up in Asia. All right. So we're in Asia, but we're still, we're still, we're still normal you. We're yes, still yes. <laughs> normal, old, damaged, broken you. Yes. Now, Parting how a lot, do we go from... <laughs> Yeah. So how do we go from that to like, hey, how about I join this sex call? (laughs) So when I was in Malaysia, this is when I finally allowed myself to fall in love. And I was 27 when I got into my first proper relationship. Now, it didn't last, (laughs) but um, it, it we started like drifting apart because I was inorgasmic and it became an issue. So when I lost that relationship, It was like, okay, I know I really have to look at this. This is not something I can pretend. It's not there. I cannot hide it. If I ever want to be in a relationship, the conversation about sex is going to be there. So I have to do something about it. And at those times, like Tantra wasn't something you could just find online. Like these days, if you Google Tantra, you're going to get a lot of articles, a lot of videos, but it wasn't the case back then. So I kind of heard something about Tantra and I also heard about sexual healing and I knew I wanted it. And I just, I had a very strong intention. I was asking people around. Um, And then I heard about this school in Thailand that sounded really crazy because teachers were having sex with students. And I was like, this is crazy. No way. Then I ended up in an ashram in India studying Tantra, but very traditional Tantra. So no sexuality. And I keep hearing about the school in Thailand. Then I moved to Bali and in Bali, I met a woman who was actually in that school in Thailand. So I was like, okay, you know what? Tell me exactly how it works and I'm going to fly with you. And I did like, I joined her on the flight back to Thailand and that's how I ended up in a, you know, tantric community, AKA sex cult. So it was a very strong intention that I had wanting to experience sexual healing that got me into the school that was a tantra school, but also was very sexual in its practices. So prior to this, inorgasmic, prior to the boyfriend, like with anybody? Oh, no. I've, I've Even had, yourself? No, no, no. I've had sex, but I was never in a proper relationship. No, I know sex. <laughs> yeah, I got that. Oh, okay. Um, I got that. So you said, inor- you said inorgasmic, yes, right? Yes. And, that, and that, caused the, that caused the struggle between you and, and the boyfriend, right? So was that something that had been constant in your life and even with you taking care of yourself? So um, there are different types of female orgasm. We have the clitoral orgasm, which is very available to everyone. And practically every woman can have this orgasm when she self-pleasure. And it's the same for me. When you're with a partner, to have a clitoral orgasm, it's a little bit different. You guys probably know because you would need to focus on the clitoris, which is not necessarily the focus when you're having penetration. So um, unless you really make space for that, this will not happen. And also in Tantra, we actually prefer deeper vaginal orgasm. They're much healthier. The energy moves through your body differently. So I wasn't having 
internal orgasm. I wasn't having orgasm from penetration. So on my own was not a problem. With a guy, there was a problem. Now, there's a lot of like this being inorgasmic is very common for women. And a lot of it also comes down to the fact that we don't feel safe. So that was also a lot of my issues. Opening up to a man in a society that has so much story of sexual abuse towards women. So even if nothing happened to me, I will still tap into this energy, uh, just like the collective story. So a lot of women carry this. Um, so this is why on your own, it's easier to have an orgasm than to have it with a partner. And it was the same for me. So I had a lot of blockages in my body, both in my sexuality specifically, but a lot of the blockages were just in my heart. And I really struggled to let a man in so I wouldn't fully let go. Um, to be fully innocent and vulnerable with a partner. So that was really, that was really, let's say, well, let's call it the problem. Yeah, that was the issue. And it also seems like, um, I know from from my past, it seems like the more pressure that a woman is putting on herself to get there, the harder it's going to be. Like if you just quit trying and just enjoy the roller coaster ride, it's much easier to get to that point than it is ever putting pressure on yourself and trying to get there. It's like, it's, it's almost guaranteed you're not, it's not going to work. Yeah. And, um, very often men put pressure, even though that's not their intention, but so not having orgasm is a very, um, it's embarrassing for women. It's not something that women just, you know, talk about. Um, and I, I'm speaking from my own experience and also a lot of other women. If you struggle to orgasm, it's not going to be an easy conversation with a guy. So this is why women fake, like so many women fake orgasm because it feels like, oh my God, something is wrong with me. He's going to like make fun of me. Something is going to be off if I don't come. So women don't feel comfortable fully opening up. And then men don't have enough sensitivity of this topic just because it works differently for men and women. So a man would often say things like, oh, did you come? Like, think for a moment, if she didn't come and you're asking her, she's not going to tell you that she didn't come. She's going to say, yes, I did. And you just established a pattern of her faking and her lying to you. And from that place, like her being honest is almost impossible. So it's really on both sides, just understanding that this is a sensitive topic. It's a very common issue among women. And there are ways how men can assist. One of the things that I always tell my clients is ask open questions. So don't ever ask a woman, did you come? Don't ask her, did you like it? Ask her, how much did you enjoy it? What was the best part? So that she has space to actually give you proper feedback. And then you can also adjust to give her what she wants and what she needs. But asking these yes or no questions create that pressure you know, on a woman, even though that wasn't your intention. So the pressure absolutely is very, very bad. It does not help at all, but that pressure can come from both her and the partner. You can't fake that abdominal spasm that comes though. Like the <gasps> way that the muscles just, no, no, can. you can fake can. the, you can, no, you can fake the verbal part of it. You can pretend that you're doing it, but you, there's nobody that makes their muscles work the way that the abdomen just spasms and gives up and, gets firm Paul, and Paul, it just doesn't I'll, happen. Paul, I'll tell you this. I've done a lot of tantric practices. I can I can get these contractions right now if I want. But it's I'm trained. Right. I'm trained. Fair. Well, mo most people. <laughs> yes, I will say this. You're a prof you're a professional. I so I I, I cannot say that it's 100% true, but I think one thing that women cannot fake is the nipples. 
So like, you know, the nipples getting hard, it's not something that I can just make happen unless my, my breasts are actually engaged. And of course, everything that happens inside of the vagina. So like one of the things I tell women and actually couples to understand a bit better whether a woman is truly ready or not is put your fingers inside of you at the end of penetration and you'll feel that you're so spongy, you're so soft. That is the state of full female erection. That is when she's fully open, fully relaxed. This is so different from how her body feels when we start penetration. But that is another thing that she cannot fake because that's a physiological reaction. So her body needs to be relaxed, needs to be warmed up to feel like that. So these, these physiological things, they can be really good to tell you whether her body is truly relaxed. But you have to remember about another thing is that we can have an orgasm in the body, but the brain doesn't register this as an orgasm. So even though physiologically everything that's happening to me, it's like I am in a state of an orgasm, but it's not actually an orgasm because it's not connected to the brain. So it's it's like the, the conversation about orgasm is not so black and white. <laughs> that one, so I, I know that one. That one went over right? my head. Agree, agree. But I know that um, personally, over years, looking into a lot of this stuff. I've worked on the non-ejaculation orgasm, right? Which is very much a tantric thing. Definitely don't have that down yet, but always room for improvement. But as far as tantra, when you when you type this into Google, there's 75 different things that come up that that want to explain to you what tantra is, and none of them none of them are the same. So like what tell us more about this and what it actually means and and what what it comes with cuz i i understand 5% of it and i'm looking at it going well this one doesn't make any sense with this one doesn't make any sense with this one <laughs> yeah it's a it's a great conversation i agree and to be honest this is why i often don't even say tantra when i present myself because either people don't know what it is or they assume it's sex so you guys have no idea how often people think that i'm a sex worker so I just figured maybe I just won't be using the word because it seems so difficult to explain. But okay, so what is Tantra? So first of all, Tantra is a spiritual practice. Okay, so Tantra, it's very similar to yoga. So this is when we do lots and lots of meditation. Um, we do breath work. We do Kundalini practices. We do Hatha yoga. We do so many things. Um, and, and the reason for these practices is enlightenment. So it's purely, purely a spiritual path. Now, we have different types of Tantra, and one of the paths works with sexual energy. And if we want to kind of look historically, Tantra was created in response to yoga. So something that a lot of people don't know, but yoga was only for higher classes in India. Not everyone could practice yoga and was only for men. Mm. It took generations before women were allowed to do yoga. And some physical positions in yoga, for example, they're designed for a male body because your point of gravity is located differently than mine. So literally some poses as a woman with hips, I won't be able to do them. So when Tantra was created as a spiritual path, it was a little bit like a um, it was created by people who were not allowed to do yoga. So Tantra always allowed things such as um, sexuality, alcohol, meat. Um, women could practice it and all the classes. So it was a bit like more um, 
like, you know, maverick spiritual path, something like this. Fair. Now, because sexuality was a part of it, what happened to Tantra today is a little bit what happened to yoga. So again, yoga is a spiritual path. But if you think of yoga today, it's, you know, the stretching and the physical activity in a yoga studio. So what our society did is it took just a little bit of yoga that suited its needs and then made it commercial. And the same happened to Tantra. So you have this very, very deep tantric spiritual path. Now us in the West, we just took one part, which is sex, and we took it out and we made it more commercial. And in most cases, when you read something about Tantra, it's going to be about sex. So mostly these days, Tantra is about conscious sexuality. And it's great. I think it's very needed because our society, we're so fucked up around sexuality. It's really, you know, it's, it's, there's so much work to be done here. But most of the Tantra you'll find today, it's just focused on that. And it doesn't take this bigger spiritual aspect into consideration but to be fair, most people are not looking for enlightenment, right? Most people are looking for better sex and better relationships. Well, I think a lot of people are looking for enlightenment, but they don't know it. They're just trying to buy enlightenment or share on their social media to get enlightenment. They're just they're, they, That's really the goal is some sort of a final enlightenment, but they don't realize that that's what they're looking for. Um, I just don't think they can tie it into the bedroom. <laughs> yeah, but you're a little older. You, you get that stingy. <laughs> older you get, you don't have enlightenment in the bedroom. Okay. You got that stingy 50-year-old energy. Yeah. <laughs> um so how so, so what you are is you're an intimacy coach, correct? Yes. How do we how do we get from business to intimacy coaching in, in your mind, in your heart, in your daily practice? And then what do you still bring over from your business world? Mm. So, yeah, I started in business and then <laughs> I ended up in a tantric sex cult. So what I love doing is bringing the conversation around intimacy and sexuality into spaces where you would naturally not talk about it. So I quite often speak at business events, like, you know, big business conferences, and I'm really good at merging these topics together. So the way that most people look at their sex life, it's, you know, imagine you have a big house and there's this one room that's your sex life that you sometimes visit, but most of the time it stays closed and you're hanging out in your living room. So we think that sex and sexuality is just one compartment of your life. But what sexuality really is, it's like the floor, which basically is the foundation of the whole house. And I think one of the issues is that separation, which is a fake separation, because we all come from sexual energy. Sexual energy is your life force energy. This is literally what keeps you alive. And when we get older, we have less energy. We have less sexual energy. Notice that people who seem most sexual and most desirable, like, you know, we feel so drawn to them. These people feel alive because sexuality is the sense of aliveness. So you cannot separate it. And even if you look at some of the biggest leaders like in human history, they were known for high sex drive. Even look at Elon Musk. I don't even know how many kids he has now. <laughs> but there, there is high energy. So you cannot possibly separate it. Like in Tantra, 
sexual energy is the creative force. So it's literally the fuel and the material that builds the whole life. It built me, it built both of you guys and every other person. Our physical body is built of sexual energy. So it's one and the same. And so this is where I love bringing these conversations to people that would not expect it. And the more you tap into your sexual energy, not necessarily through sex, the way we understand it, but the more you open your sexual energy, the more productive you get, the more creative you get. It seems like you have more luck in life. You live longer. You look younger. Guys, one of the things about these tantric communities is like we seem to like age in reverse, which is crazy. But it's the sexuality that does that. So, so I just, it's not that I necessarily mix it with business. I mix it with every other area of your life because it actually is. So how does, how do we, how do we start to, as just normal everyday individuals, jobs, kids, everything, how do we start to tap into that energy? How do we, what are practices we can put in place, ideas we can keep for us to use that energy and, and, and blend that energy into our everyday life? So I would say start with sex, either self-pleasure or with your partner, because it's something we already do and it's something we like. So it's something our teacher used to tell us, look, you could meditate for four hours or you could have tantric sex for two hours. Let me think which one you are more likely to do. <laughs> so Good point. So because we naturally want to have sex, this is like the easiest place to start. And what you want to do, you want to switch one thing. The tendency is, especially when we feel more aroused, is that you're tensing your body, right? You're tensing, 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 and then phew, the release of an orgasm come. Try to do the opposite, meaning try to relax, which at first may feel really difficult because your body is not used to it. It's like you're changing the default reaction of your body. But what you want to do is slow down. If slowing down is difficult, then take pauses. Um... And breathe deeply through your mouth. So sometimes we would hold the breath when we're tensing the body, especially right before you come, you're holding the breath. So I'm asking you to do the exact opposite, which you may feel frustrated when I ask you to do it because it will feel like, oh, it's building up, building up. And then I lose it when I take a deep inhale. But eventually you will open your body. Like you're open, you will open your heart. You'll open all of your body to feel more. And through this these deeper intimate experiences become available to you. And once you get a bit of, you know, like a taste of that, once you feel how amazing this can be, then your body will start going in that direction more and more often. And it will at some point just become a new default state. So, you know, Paul, you, you mentioned the non-ejaculation practice. So it's the same here. It's like at first it's really hard, right? Because it's so like your body wants to do something and you're trying to reverse the flow of energy. Right. So at first it was really difficult. Like it required um, it's almost like saying no to pleasure. It literally feels the same, like delaying gratification because your body really wants to do it. And it's like, am I just going to go for this or am I going to stay committed to my decision? So it's not easy. We got we got to have inner fire to do that. But then also with non-ejaculation, the more you do this, the body learns a different path and then it becomes easier. And it just at some point becomes your second nature. But I would say, look, again, I, I really did hours and hours of work to have certain experiences. I don't think you, everyone needs to do it. And I don't think this is necessary to feel more depth in life. 
but start with sex, slow down sex. I don't mean that it has to be like vanilla sex. That's not what I mean. You can have really hard sex if you want it, very passionate sex, but then just pause every now and then and take those deep breaths in between. And this allows the energy to move through your body and open your heart space. And you're still feeling this because it has to be experienced. It cannot be just explained with words. You got to feel that. And that's the easiest way to feel it. Does it make sense? Does it, does it make sense? Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it does. It, and the breathing... The, the breathing and the relaxing makes perfect sense because with with the different practices, that's been the biggest thing to to once you can get that down and you can get um, physically you can have control over that part of your body when your body wants to tense up and it wants to breathe through your chest and you can relax the muscles. You can you have a lot more control over things that you realize you never had control over. Um, but what about the sexual energy in the rest of our lives? Uh, can you give me some example? Uh, what? How can we be more aware and and more conscious and improve the way that these energies work? Are there practices that we can do during the day that don't involve going in the bathroom and <laughs> beating our meat? Like, <laughs> um, great question. Know, like, what do leaders do? You know, what? I'm, you know I'm, how do you I'm, tie that into leadership? I'm gonna take a <laughs> sip of my water first. <laughs> Mm. Okay, great question. So um, first for women, I'm going to say specifically for women. So let me actually start with this. Women are more sexual than men. Yeah. We are in a patriarchal society that sold the idea that men always want sex and women don't. Women's sexual energy is stronger. So for women, it's much easier to activate it. So my recommendation, especially for women, is that you always want to have your sexual energy somewhat warmed up, somewhat activated. So it's like water. You don't ever want to become a cold pot of water because then it's so hard. It takes so much time to get to boiling. So women should always be a little warm. Here's an easy, very easy practice for women. When you sit cross-legged, just press your thighs against each other. And this can be done even in a meeting in any situation. So it's just enough like tension and movement to activate your whole sexual area. That's super easy. Now, ideally you would breathe into this energy and move it through the body to activate it this way. For men, it's a little different because from being cold, you can move really fast to being boiling. So I would not necessarily recommend any movements that can just slightly arouse you because chances are you're going to get very, very aroused and then you cannot focus on anything. So for... Hey. <laughs> very true. Also accurate. <laughs> I'm not saying this is always the case. We're all different, absolutely. But you can get aroused really fast. And it's just how the brain works. A woman can be focused on multiple things. But, you know, once you're like, okay, now I'm having sex, like that's where your focus goes. And I also feel that it's very unfair in any situation to get a man to the place where his whole body and the brain expect sex and then you don't get it. Now, you can train this. It's Again, it's a muscle, but I feel it's nice to be respectful of your body and your own desires. So the practice for men that I would actually recommend is um, more about being more present. So a woman can activate her sexual energy and let it flow through her body. And through this, she will feel it. For a man, I would say start, try to feel women around you more. Instead of feeling like activating and feeling yourself, allow yourself to feel women more. So 
I have this metaphor. Energy. And just yes. to asterisk with the society that we're in today, feel the energy of the women <laughs> around you more. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I did not mean to feel them directly. <laughs> Very, I'm out of a job, man. Very good point. Um, so let me give you, an, like, there is a metaphor I use to explain the masculine feminine energy. So imagine you're on a train and you're going really fast because you got to get somewhere. Try looking through the window and see anything. You can because it's all just blurry because you're going so fast. So that's what happens when we are very much in this doing energy. We simply don't notice. We don't notice what people think, what they need. That's also a problem during sex, because if a man is so focused on thrusting and getting to his orgasm, he is unable to feel into his partner. So for a man to feel a woman's energy, you have to kind of change like the flow of energy. And instead of like going into this default of I just want to do, I want to do, I want to go outwards, try to go inwards and pull the energy in. One of the ways you do it is you stop talking. You stop talking, you can even close your eyes and just visualize you're pulling your energy in. And so now you're you're pulling information from other people and you can become more aware of where women are around you. And through a woman, a man can activate his energy. That's one of the beautiful things in Tantra is that we do all the practices with a lover because they help us activate our own body. Like men need women, women need men. We all need each other. Um, so I'd say this is how we get to use each other. So as men, and I know, I know I'm not giving like specific one to three, but that's not how energy works, right? Like energy is more subtle. It flows, it moves. It's, it's more art than it is science. But just like, imagine, for example, if you're standing in front of a woman and you just make an intention, I want to feel her energy. How would I feel her energy? And because it's it's a natural thing to feel each other's energy, your body knows what to do. You just have to let it do it. And through that, you'll notice that your body is opening more and more. And so your energy gets activated because your energy will be responding to her energy. So you are activating your energy indirectly through women in your life. That makes perfect sense. And it's, it's, it's very much in align with a mindfulness practice, right? Because you're being, you're being mindful of getting out of your own head you're being mindful of what's around you you're being mindful of the people's energy that you're that you're in the vicinity of um a lot of these things sound very very beneficial with a partner that you you know you love you're intimate with i think you know most of us not not most probably a good portion of the of, of our audience is married and have their their main partner that they're with um this seems like something that would be very out of the ordinary to just start practicing with a new partner that you are just becoming acquainted with. How do you, how do you suggest that, that our listeners majority male when they, when they first start learning about a new, new partner first start getting to know her sexuality, how do you, how does he kind of set this precedence of this energy and, slowing down like what are what are some things that he can talk to her about yeah great question um so i'll tell you that i actually believe that it's just as difficult if not maybe more difficult to start bringing it up if you've been married for many years because if you never talked about sex and suddenly you want to talk about it it can get very awkward 
But if you're meeting someone new, you actually have an incredible benefit because you get to set certain dynamic. You get to set the pace. You get to set the, the flavor of this relationship. So for me, I actually believe this is a bit easier. Now, I think a great way really for anything is just to talk about it. We, we just don't talk about it at all. Um, I'll actually share an advice. I got this from Dan Savage. So Dan Savage, um, he's gay. And he has a story when he says, why are all these heterosexual couples coming for advice to me? So he started a podcast many, many years ago. And he, he's giving like dating advice <laughs> to people. And he, he said this awesome thing. And he says, there's one thing um, that everyone could learn from gay community. And he says, as a man... I cannot have sex unless I have a conversation about it for pure logistical reasons. <laughs> and yeah. he says, why don't you heterosexual people talk about sex? And it's true. We, if someone is heterosexual, um, you're going to have this feeling of like, we don't talk and then we all know what sex means. But there are all these varieties of sex. You know, there can be penetrative sex and non-penetrative. There's so many different experiences that fall into this. So regardless of your sexual orientation, like, you know, whatever your relationship type is, whatever you're into, just start talking about it. And if you're curious about energy or it's something you want to learn, then that's how you start and be like, hey, I've been reading this thing. Have you ever tried anything? You, you, you know, you just may discover that the woman you're on a date with, that maybe she has done some tantra so, because it's becoming more and more popular. So I would say definitely, definitely talk ask questions. What are you into? What would, what would you like to try? Have you ever heard about this? Is this something that interests you? That's, I think that honestly solves about 80% of issues. And then secondly, I actually think it's really good for couples to get a mentor. So you can get one-on-one -on -one sessions. Um, you can go for retreats or festivals. So you're guided through this practice because if, no, if none of you is experienced, it's going to get a bit messy and you probably won't be really doing much because you won't know what to do. But if one of you is very experienced, then it becomes like a teacher-student relationship and it's also not good. So I think it's really good to outsource that and just join a workshop, go for a festival, get a teacher. Um, and just do it as like, oh, you know, I've always been curious about it. You know, would you at some point like to do that? Uh, and this can also be such a great experience for a new couple to build the relationship. But another thing I would add, and maybe I should have actually said it before when you asked me, but um, I really, really, really believe that every man should learn non-ejaculation. Like, I don't know what, if that has been your experience, but even if you don't fully master this, you learn to feel your body you learn how to manage your own energy. And even if you are not able to fully stop ejaculation, in most cases, you'll be able to last longer and you'll be able to circulate the energy through your body. That skill changes you as a lover. So this activates your energy. And then again, just bring it up. If you, if you meet a woman, you can say, you know, I've been really curious about this non-ejaculation practice. That's where I am. That's what I would like to continue doing. It's like, honestly, I think we so underestimate the power of talking about sex. The, the best way that I can use to explain it in, you know, ogre language that all of our audience will understand is like, 
imagine you have like a thousand horsepower race car in front of you. And it's the first time that you're getting behind the wheel of that car. You're like, oh shit, like I could crash this thing into the fucking wall and kill myself, right? But if you slowly build up to learning how to control that car, just the confidence of being able to control it and understanding what happens gives you the confidence to push more and push harder and not being stressed out about getting to orgasm especially for for a man i don't know for a woman i'm sure it relieves the pressure of it and it makes it more enjoyable for the entire session versus all build up for one climax and then it's over so paul i'm curious about your experience of this as well so when we're talking about challenges that women have to come to have an orgasm with a partner when you practice non-ejaculation your orgasm becomes actually the same as female orgasm, the deep vaginal orgasm. So it's an orgasm that doesn't come from tensing of the body, but relaxation. So um, I don't know if you feel open to sharing, like whether you ever had a non-ejaculatory orgasm and then how... No, so that, yeah. yeah, that's where my disconnect is, is like building up the practice, building up the muscle control, building up the mind control to where you ju- you, you can just, you know, go and enjoy and go and go and go, but achieving any sort of altered state minus ejaculation is, is like, it's not happening. Mm. So if that's what, if that's what the female deep orgasm feels like, I'm sorry, because that's not, it's, it's good. It's fine, but it's just, it's not. And maybe I'm looking for too much reward to come from it, right? Like it's not, fulfilling rewarding it Mm. just seems like good sex yeah so so notice um notice how difficult it is right to actually have this type of an orgasm so then this already gives you guys an understanding of what it's like for women trying to have an orgasm from penetration because that it requires such deep relaxation one of the things with non-ejaculation, it's because, again, it became such a buzz thing and a lot of people teach this, but they teach it more as contraction of the body. So you're meant to tense your body, you're meant to be very strong in your mind, use your inner fire. But that's actually just the beginning level. It's, you know, it's kind of when you have to still use your control to master your energy. The point is you want to open your body so this energy flows freely. And so you can be in a state of relaxation because an orgasm will only come in that state. Um, and I would say, I think it's great for, but I love what you said about these four pillars. I'm fully, fully on, on, you know, with you on this one. So I believe that we really need to work on all four. And if you want to be a great lover, you've got to have the spiritual vertical as well. That doesn't mean you have to go to church and be religious, but have some, have some understanding that life is not just made of the physical thing. And that you're not just the physical body and that sex is not just a physical experience. Like that understanding is essential to go deeper. So if any anyone listening here thinks, oh, energy is bullshit, this is where you want to start. Because if you think that something is bullshit, you won't be able to experience that. But a, a simple exercise you can do is if, if you start rubbing your hands very vigorously, you're going to feel the heat. Heat is energy. There's so many like different ways of looking at it. Um, we have a phantom limb, which is when you lose a limb, 
people can still say that they have sensations, like they feel like they still have a leg or an arm because energetically the energy body is still there. Uh, sometimes, you know, when you like uh, uh, touch something and you like kind of feel like you got <laughs> hit by uh, electricity, like we have static, right? When you take your sweater off. So there are all of these little things that show you that you have an electromagnetic field. What spirituality is, is that it, it makes this electromagnetic field a little more divine, a little more magic, a little less scientific. And when you incorporate that into your non-ejaculation practice, that's when you can also experience those deeper orgasm and this different level of pleasure. That's interesting. Yeah, it's the energy thing is really hard for hard-brained scientific types to really process but the one way that i've found that it helps for me to think about it is like if you turn your radio on in your car right you can get audio coming out of that and it's not wired to anything you can't see the wires going from your antenna of your car radio to the antenna that is sending out the radio signal but we know it works we know it works because we've established what those what those frequencies are there are a lot of other frequencies out there that we don't necessarily have the established frequencies yet, but it doesn't mean that they're not there. And I think that's been the best way for me to understand like, oh, there's a lot about this energy thing that I'm not aware of, or I can't, I can't measure it or, or draw what it looks like, but it's still there and I still need to be conscious of it. And another thing that helps is like, if I'm focusing on my energy or focusing on um, improving the energy in the room or focusing on just not being negative and all this is bullshit and none of it's real, there's nothing negative to come from that. Yeah, I actually remember quite a few situations when I was still living in this tantric community and I'm sitting in one of these community gatherings were singing and doing other practices. And I sometimes would zoom out and just look at us, this whole group of people and thinking, are we just like stupid and brainwashed? <laughs> you know, it's like, is it, is it real? And then exactly what you said, well, even if it is stupid, does it harm us? No, it actually adds to our life. It, 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 you know, there's the saying that even if God didn't exist, we would have to invent him because we have yeah. natural need for something beyond. So in a way for me, the conversation where like God or energy divine exists or not doesn't matter. What matters is that as humans, we have that need. And I think for some people, you know, they may be religious, they may call it God, they may meditate, but it doesn't have to be just that. Sometimes doing what your soul, what you, what you love, like following your true passion can be a spiritual practice as well. For some of us, it's going to nature and be with nature. That can be the spiritual practice. But we do see a lot of mental um, diseases and, and challenges also coming from the fact that people have rejected the non-science, that everything has to be proven logically. And we're seeing that this actually is really psychologically unhealthy for us. We, we need to make space for magic because we are not able to understand the world fully. And if you put yourself in a position that I should, 
like we're not able to grasp the magic of life. We don't even know what life is. Like literally our doctors don't know what life is. We cannot agree when life starts, nor when life ends. So we have to make space for the unknown. And unless you do, you are actually unhappy and it impacts your health as well. So I think in whatever way that is for an individual, just make space that there is something beyond what you, like you said, what you don't see, you can't feel. But what if it existed? Like just what if it existed and play with that? Yeah, it's kind of, it, it's kind of like if, if you, if you and I were in a room and, and we had a shared experience and we were, and we were laughing our ass off, right? The, the kind of belly laugh where like tears are running down your face. And then Martin walked in and just saw us there. We'd look like idiots, <laughs> right? We would, because he, he has no idea what was so funny. He has no idea what we're dealing, what, what, what we experienced. But just because we look like idiots from somebody who's not in the experience doesn't mean that that experience isn't amazing and powerful and give us all the positive brain chemicals that we get from a belly laugh with a friend. Right. And that is, that is kind of the, the difference between science and spirituality, right? Like you can look at it and you have to understand it. Well, if you have to understand that, if you try to break down the, the, the breakdown of our experience that we magically just had together in this, you know, pseudoscientific conversation, and you try to break that down to the actual like scientific understanding it, you're going to fucking lose everything. Yeah. You lose all the positives of it. Yeah. I, I'm, this is just me personally. I have like beef with science because I feel like what I actually think that, that happened kind of, on, on, you know, for our society is that we, we get so angry at church for whatever they have been doing. So we rejected religion. We, re- we rejected God, but we still need God. And a lot of people treat science like God. So science knows everything, uh, can everything, uh, is always right. Like these are these are the qualities we give to God. And a lot of people give those qualities to science. It's the same. Like you cannot you cannot be talking about love in the matter of chemicals that your brain produces. It like you said, it kills the whole concept of love. So I think it's really helpful to try to understand certain things less and just go with the flow and and feel, you know, just like just don't try to figure things out. There are some things that our body receives and the brain is not able to catch up. Like, for example, um, you guys probably know this, but animals, like, okay, we cannot still predict if there's going to be an earthquake or if there's going to be um, a volcano eruption. We can predict quite a few things in, in the weather, but this is not something we can predict. And even with the weather, we're so off. It's really, really hard. But animals can. So one of the things, right, how people try to predict if a volcano is going to erupt is they watch the animals. So why is it that animals know something that we still cannot figure out? Because their body knows. And our body knows way more than we give it credit. But we're not allowing this body to talk to us. So one of the beautiful benefits um, of practicing Tantra or any form of energy work and sacred sexuality is that you are allowing your body to lead you more. Because again, if you're having sex and you want to have sex from your head, you're limiting the experience, right? You have to get out of your head and let the body lead. And then your body will take you into all of these experiences you didn't even know were possible. So I think it can be very helpful to let our body lead us a bit more in our daily life as well. 
this is also what the you know gut feeling the instinct is it's the body telling you something that your 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 brain hasn't like registered it just yet not the conscious brain at least right but the body is already feeding you information so if you can make space for that, that, hey, maybe we don't yet understand why it happens. Maybe we don't have science behind this. Maybe my mind cannot tell me why, but my like my, my body is already saying this. My body is feeling that. Just to let it take you. Let it take you. And this honesty is going to open so many incredible experiences for you. And everybody that listens to this podcast goes to the gym. They know what working out is. We, we all have the same, we all have the same um, mindset when it comes to that. Our workouts all look different, but we all know what the, what the putting the repetitions in is. And what I'm going to say now sounds exactly like what I tell people about meditation. But if you are trying to get out of your head during an intimate moment, it's going to look exactly the same as when you're trying to meditate. You're going to, you're going to be able to do it. You're going to be able to do it for a second, two seconds, three seconds. And then all of a sudden your mind's going to go back into your head. You're going to be thinking about something you needed to do, something you need to do, something that you thought about yesterday, and then you're going to catch it. And that, that, that action of catching your thought again, and you're like, oh, I'm fucking, I'm in my head again. All right, get out of my head. And it's this constant practice that you build up and become better at. It's not like, it's not like you go from not being able to do it to being able to do it overnight. You have to practice getting out of your head. And it's the same as meditation. It's the same as being conscious in your everyday life. It's the same as being conscious in conversation conversations. It's, it's being able to live from your entire body, not just being always in your head. And it's fucking hard. It is. And let me add something. So if you say that your audience like trains a lot, so um, I, Okay, I'm going to say something kind of, it's it's my observation. I'm still trying to understand this on a deeper level. So I love training. I do CrossFit. And when I lived in Bali, I was a member of this massive CrossFit gym. And I, I saw men, you know, incredible physique, very, very strong. But I didn't feel their sexual energy. And I was trying to understand why. Because actually training can increase your testosterone, especially like lower body. So deadlifts and heavy squats and everything. So you're working your sex muscle, you're increasing your vitality, you're basically opening your root chakra, which is the energetical source of your sexuality. But I noticed there's a certain element, like if you train a lot, something happens to the body. And I was really curious about that. So when I was young and I, I was a dancer, and one of the things we would hear is that hurts, great, push more. And when you train a lot in the gym, we get accustomed to override our body. And it's necessary in the gym, like, because it, it's freaking hard <laughs> to go for that last rep. So I totally get it. But if you're, if whoever is listening, if you do train a lot, what I would invite you to do is when you finish your workout, take like a minute. Okay, start 30 seconds, right? You, do, you don't need to go more than two minutes, but just sit after the workout. And like this one, you can also try meditating, closing your eyes and then going into your body to feel your body because you're probably quite disconnected. And I know this may sound counterintuitive because you feel you're very connected to your body, but in the when you train, you have to be so focused in your mind, in your willpower to keep going, to do those hard, heavy reps. So after the workout, take a moment, close your eyes, feel your body. Like you can scan your body, all the muscles. So it's going to be really awesome after the training when you, your body is very activated 
and it will reconnect you to your body. So this is where you can start incorporating the mindfulness practice that you were just mentioning, Paul, um, especially in this moment. I just find like it can be very, very helpful to do it right after. I don't know if this is something maybe you've ever tried or experienced. I'm going to open, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you exactly what was going on. Okay. (laughs) And you're not going to like what I have to say, (laughs) but the problem and the reason you didn't feel any energy there is because those dudes were all so fucking depleted (laughs) because CrossFit is awful for your actual body and you're, you're not supposed to compete in working out. You're supposed to work out to get better for something else. So those dudes were doing even CrossFitters, professional CrossFitters, they don't do CrossFit for their workouts. Yeah. They train like professional athletes and then co- CrossFit is their competition. So if you're doing CrossFit 4 or 5 days a week, your body is so destroyed and depleted that your testosterone is probably at like 62 and that's why the girl that's trying to feel your energy looks at you like a wet noodle because you're I not supposed to be you. doing CrossFit. Come do, come do some fucking real workouts. No, I agree with you because I had the conversation there. So there's this one trainer, incredible physique, beautiful, and he had a very strong sexual energy. And I remember talking to him about it. So like, you know, we're just like having these 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 observations. And we both had this idea that you in a way overtrain, that you you channel all of your sexual energy into the training because it's so demanding. And there's very little left for your intimate life. So I think it's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, Definitely what type of activities you do um, and how they impact your energy. So there's, I guess there is such a thing as just like sucking your sexual energy for something. And we do have, I I have seen people um, who get so obsessed about something and it's the only thing in their life and they can really not feel sexual. Like all of the sexual energy is just used there. Yeah. Hmm. The... The, the sexual energy as the base force energy, like you explained earlier in the podcast, really clicked with me because I, I have this theory and I talk to people about it all the time is like a majority of what we put our energy into in a day. It's just going to sound really goofy, but just hear me out here is all about obtaining a higher status for sex. The reason that we work to get more money is to put ourselves in a higher status and make us more appealing for the opposite sex. The reason a woman wants to look younger, the reason that she gets the the facelift, the reason that she gets she she thinks that it's for herself, but really it's for herself subconsciously to feel more attractive to the opposite sex and to because with women it's youth and vitality, with men it is generally, you know, being able to protect and provide. And those are the you know, the, the subconscious lizard brain, those are the things that we realize as beneficial for our sex. So the, the, the big CEO types that are out there just trying to make more money, make more money, make more money. Realistically, all you're trying to do is make yourself more beneficial to the opposite sex subconsciously. And I'm not saying you're doing this on purpose. Like you wake up in the morning, you're like, I'm going to make myself more attractive to women. But you're, <laughs> but you're to realistically. Do like to do how to be more attractive yeah. to men. It's it's all the subconscious sexual energy. But didn't you say that the leaders have a very high sexual energy, like Elon Musk? Yeah. So how does that contradict what he's saying? No, no. So the way I look at it is, um, I mean, I love looking to nature. Like for me, if I ever have a question about what's the best thing to do as a human or understand certain dynamics, just look at nature and animals because 
we are freaking animals. So um, yeah, look at any 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 animals. The alpha male has the most sex, right? It gets most females. So it has to have the drive because that's the survival of the species. So of course, it's going to be the same here. We want to see that whoever is on top has a strong sex drive. During Middle Ages, we had kings and it was so important that the king would have a lot of kids. So we judge, like fertility is almost like one of the aspects how we judge whether someone can be a good leader. So I think this is there, absolutely. Um, But again, you know, hardly anything in life is black and white. Um, And we do live in funny times where like... (sighs) So, okay, maybe, Paul, I'll add something. You said that, you know, we engage energy to increase our status so we can be more sexually desired. In my opinion, I don't think that having a sexual mate is the end goal. I think that the end goal is the sense of belonging. So I want to be accepted. I want to be loved. I want connection. I want belonging. Um, And, of course, like sexuality, it's like one of the main ways how I can really have that experience. We have, we're living in some really crazy times where we're trying to get connection, but doing the things that are opposite to it. If you look at social media, if you look at a lot about what's happening now with AI, um, well, comfort is killing our society. Comfort is killing our sex drive. Men have, you know, lower, lower testosterones. We have infertility everywhere. It's like, I feel like we got so like off in this whole conversation. And so we're seeing certain things that like don't fit because you're like, why would nature allow that? That doesn't make sense. And it's not nature, it's us. It's kind of stupid human beings and our civilization that has just done some things. It's like, how? Because it's so against the natural flow and what we would do if we're just kind of moved instinctively. So that's at least how I look at things. Yeah. Wouldn't that be the natural flow? Wouldn't that be the natural flow through evolution? Is that things that are not beneficial for the growth and and um, advancement of the population would actually make you less fertile, right? Because then, yeah. over generation after generation after generation, um, the people that are less fertile are going to have, you know, less kids, and those those beneficial things, whether it be you know gaming or beating off to Pornhub or whatever it is, those things are going to be eradicated in the genotype because they make you less fertile. I mean, yeah, for me, the conversation about infertility is just says, hey, whatever we're doing is really bad because it tells nature that I shouldn't reproduce. Um, so I think- But, but ma- what I'm, what I'm yeah. saying is maybe those people shouldn't reproduce. Yeah, but the thing is, there are things that we all do. Like hardly anyone on this planet has an actual nutritious diet just because we depleted the soil. So there's a lot of things yeah. that are just like, you know, or like mental challenges, the fact that we sit, most of the time we sit, right? Um, we should be squatting. Like if we were aligned with nature, the three of us right now would be squatting, having this conversation. But I don't know about you, I cannot stay an hour in a squat. <laughs> so there's some things that we are all doing that are wrong and very unhealthy yeah. for us, you know? Um, now, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want to be like selfish here, but I would say like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't have kids. <laughs> but um, my problem is that I'm talking on a much bigger scale. Um, I'll be selfish and say that there's a lot of people that should not be reproducing right now. I'm, I'm okay with I'm okay with that's the true. Then there'd that. be less beta males in this planet right now. No, no, no. But you you still have to have worker bees. <laughs> oh. Okay. 
And you you know about the sneaker fish, right? Have you ever heard of the sneaker fish, Magda? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, this is my favorite one. Oh, this is good. Right. Martin is so, like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So there's this there's this fish in nature, and the 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 alpha fish that has all of the women fish under him looks like a male fish. He 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 has the characteristics of a strong male fish. Now there's a sneaker fish in this population that when he is not the alpha of his of his group of fish, he takes on the characteristics of a female fish and he goes under the radar of the alpha fish and sneaks into the group of women and impregnates them as a fake female fish. And I know a lot of these sneaker fish in the populace right now that are going under the radar of the sneaker fish and trying to get in. And, you know, they're, they're the incels, right? They're the involuntary celibate dudes that are like, no, I love women's rights. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Look, I'll, so here, here's, um, I think here's an interesting conversation. So, you know, when I was living in this tantric community, one of the reasons why I wanted to step out of it was also the quality of men. Yeah. So, there is a reason why people move into those communities and it's for healing. And I, and I have all the compassion for this men who often end up there are men who have some challenges with the masculine energy, like especially the, not just masculine, they have the problem with the inner warrior. So it's the aspect of the masculine that goes and kills and protects and hunts. So these men are often vegan. They don't train in the gym. They just do yoga. They're very skinny. They're very, they feel very feminine. They're very nurturing, loving, etc. But they're disconnected. Sneaker fish. Exactly. But they're disconnected from these other energies. Um, and these days, what, what's happening is that a lot of men also use this as conscious strategy. So they pretend to be conscious men to win a woman's trust. And so I do see, like when I, when I meet a man and he doesn't show any of this like inner warrior, this kind of aggressive energy, if I don't see his inner fire as a woman, I cannot trust him because everyone has an inner monster. And if you're telling me that, no, you're all good. And no, I only want to make love. I never want to fuck because I respect women. All I hear is that you're lying and you either know that you're lying or you don't know that you're lying. But in any case, that's not true. That's not honest. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. I do see a lot of that. And for me, I feel this is one of the big challenges that men have. And again, that's been caused by the society, by the lifestyle, that men are very disconnected from that inner warrior. We have absolutely suppressed this energy in our society. And and I think, like I don't know, I've heard. OK, I'll tell you guys a story. So this is why I decided to work with men. It's like a decade ago or something. I was living in Bali in this yogi, another different yogi community. And I met with a friend of mine, a guy. And he was saying how grateful he is for men's circles and all these spaces where he can open up and talk about his emotions and admit that, yeah, I also feel insecure. That when I looked at this guy, I felt, wow, I'm smaller than him. I'm not as attractive. So I'm very grateful I have the space where I can say these things. But you know what You know what I cannot say? Is that sometimes I look at a woman and all I want to do is pin her to the wall and fuck her. And I cannot say that. So we've eliminated space for men to be expressing this energy. So men pretend like they don't have it. But we all have it. Women have it too. And you have to learn to manage this energy. 
But if you're not even willing to see it, how are you going to manage this? You're not. So these are these are the dangerous men, men who are disconnected from that energy. I, I want to see men who are in touch with this energy and then they choose not to use it, not the men who don't use it because they're not in touch with this. Yeah, I mean that's that's the the conscious the conscious consciality of the inner warrior, right? I want to be the I want to be the warrior in the garden, not the gardener in the war. Mm-hmm. Um, are you? So I don't know how prevalent birth control is in Europe. Is it like everybody on it the way that it is here? You know what? I don't know. Okay, I it's hard a bit for me to say, but I do remember a story from my American friend, and. She said, so I, I did a high school exchange in the US. <laughs> so there was one of my friends from high school. I was back in Europe and she is telling me a story. So, you know, we're like 17, 18 years old, that she went to see a gynecologist. It was her first visit ever. And she said that she wants to start having sex. And the doctor immediately prescribed the pill. That was not my experience in Europe. Now, now maybe it's different. I'm a bit older than that. But at least when I was young, my first visits to gynecologists did not end in them just like this, prescribing me a pill. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not on the pill. I'm against the pill. So maybe because I'm not in the community as much, so it's a bit hard to say. But I think, to be fair, I think in the U.S. you guys just love, you just love prescriptions and you love taking pills, all the pills. <laughs> We love we love faking everything. Fake your fake your nutrients, fake your fake your self-control, fake we fake everything. But so the reason I brought that up is have you, have you read any of these studies about a woman's um ability to sense her attraction yeah. to a, her smell. mate with birth control versus not being on birth control? Yes. So I think I've talked about this one on on the podcast, but basically being on any sort of sort of hormonal birth control completely destroys a woman's ability to um, connect her sense of smell, which is pheromones, to her attraction level. And the way that they did this is they they had all these women and they had um, men's shirts and then pictures of the men and the women would smell the men's shirts and then connect it with a, the, the attractiveness of the man. And they were able to, if they were not on birth control, they were able to, you know, within a reasonable number, 60, 70%, um, connect the smell of the shirt to a man that they were attracted to. It, it made sense. Women that were on birth control had zero ability to do this. So the idea here is that we we get a girl and she's 16, 17, 18 years old. And we put her on birth control because she wants to have sex, right? So she goes out there and she starts having sex. She has sex with man one, man two, man three, man four. She falls in love with man four. She lives with man four. They get engaged. They get married. And then she goes off birth control to start having children. And all of a sudden, three, four months later, she's like, I fucking don't even like this guy. Like, I know he's a nice guy, but I look at him and I just do not want him inside me. And it's this, it's, it's this distraction that we're, that we're doing by, you know, wanting the females to be able to explore their sexuality without getting pregnant, but also doing it is destroying their ability to, basically become attracted to someone that they would be attracted to not on birth control. And I don't know a way around it because I mean, birth control has made women be able to become who they are in this century, but there has to be some sort of long implication that this is going to be negative. I mean, okay. So last year I was sitting in my CrossFit gym (laughs) and a woman found an article that they're working on the pill for men. And she was like, oh, this is so cool. And I was like, uh-huh, okay. 
And one of the coaches sits down and I ask him, would you take the pill if they had it? And he's like, no, why not? He's like, I don't want to risk my swimmers. <laughs> and that's the thing. If, if you think about it, like, would you take something like that? You're like, probably not. Because if I think of it, it's a bit risky. I don't know this. And women are so fast to just put whatever. They don't even know what into their body. And we're not very much concerned about the consequences. So like I said, I am against the pill for multiple reasons. What you quoted is just one of the many reasons. I don't think that's the only way. I think women should go back to tracking our cycle naturally. The reason why we don't track it naturally is because our lifestyle is so fucking off that our cycle is off. But this should be a huge concern because if your cycle is off, it means you're very, very unhealthy. <laughs> um, so I think every woman should work on aligning her cycle. And yes, it should be aligned with the moon. It's not because, again, we're disrupting a lot of things, but it should be. Um, it can move based on the things in your life, and that's okay because it's responsive. But I believe a woman, every woman should actually have a relationship to her cycle. And the pill, for me, the worst thing that the pill does is that it disconnects you from your body. And it perpetuates the narrative that, oh my God, a cycle is an inconvenience, which basically goes further into saying being a woman is inconvenient. Like that is so dangerous. In tribal cultures, when a woman is bleeding, she's considered to be. Hey. <laughs> what, what do you want to say? Every what time, do you want to say? <laughs> every time I say every time I say tribe, Martin calls me out on it, and you said tribe today. I didn't even have yeah. to say it. Yes, once a podcast, we get tribe in. Thank you, Magna. You're welcome. No, no, I'm I'm big on that because because you know, like in tribes, they're way more connected to the spiritual realm, to the power of nature, our the power of our bodies. So a woman who's menstruating, she's considered to be already in the ceremony. She's closer to the spirit world. She has higher like instinct in this moment. So like, you know, this is the tradition of a red tent because in a small community, women would usually sink together. So then women would go together and they're bleeding and they're having insights. And it's like the whole tribe is waiting for what are the insights that the women are going to bring us. And today, oh, it's inconvenient. Gosh, I'm bleeding. Let me take the pill. It's, it's, it's for me, it's just, um, it's another example of how we think that our bodies are stupid and, oh, the brain, you know, knows better. It doesn't. One, one issue with tracking the cycle though, is your body is really fucking smart. And those three or four days a month when you are the most fertile is when you're like, yes, give me all oh, the Oh yeah. Dick. Oh, absolutely. That's the problem. <laughs> yes. Well, look, yes. But on those days, okay. It, so here's how I look at it. If you are in a committed, exclusive relationship. Please learn non-ejaculation. So then, first of all, the, the threat of pregnancy is at least minimized. Um, if a man wants to come, just come around her bleeding window. And then when she's ovulating, just be mindful not to or use a condom on those few days. Like it can be managed. Um, it's like it's just if we look at the side effects of the pill. It's it's yeah. so bad. I mean, so many women are infertile and have massive hormonal issues because they were on the pill. Like if if you yeah. if you read, you know, the the tiny print on the box of 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 the pill, it says that you can even die from taking it. Oh, it's not a big deal though. <laughs> exactly. In our Don't, society, doesn't. That's why they make that. <laughs> yeah. That's why. That's why they make that print really small. Yeah. Um, I got one last question, then and then I'll see what if, what Martin has, but. Um, one thing 
I know that a lot of our audience has in common is that kind of dominating alpha type personality, um, which generally between the masculine and the feminine, it works. It works really well, right? And even if it's just behind closed doors, it is that, you know, taking taking what you want. Mm-hmm. I have trouble staying in that mindset and also being conscious of providing as much pleasure for her as possible. Like those two things are are tough to intertwine. Any mm-hmm. suggestions, benefits? Um, so yes, it is, period. <laughs> exactly as you said. <laughs> So again, when you're in this energy, you're this fast train. So it's really hard for the train to be able to notice what's happening through the windows when you're going so fast. Another thing that happens that imagine there is like a branch on the track. The train is going to go over it, not even notice it. It takes a car for the train to notice that I'm hitting something. So if we look traditionally, we had these overly feminine women and these overly masculine men, these macho men, but exactly women were complaining because you're like, you're just emotionally disconnected. So the challenge for men, I would say, it's to integrate these two parts. And you're kind of picking when you want to be in what energy. But ideally, I would say what you want to do is be in that warrior alpha energy, but train yourself, like I said before today, you know, to pull back and be in a receptive state. And so when you do this enough times, you'll be able to shift really fast. So then you can be in this alpha energy, but occasionally, especially let's say during sex, you just pause and you bring her in. Okay, she's fine. Everything is fine. I keep going. I keep going. So you so you bring in pauses where you switch the energy uh, because they're opposite. They're opposite. Um, and yeah, the whole like uh, allure and the the, and the the tension, the chemistry of that strong polarity is that you're so pushy, you're so outwards, right? That you're literally fucking, you're pounding, you're you're penetrating, right? That's that's the energy. So you are penetrating. That's what that, that's what is um, that's attractive. But as a woman, I want you to be able to step out of it. Okay. So if you're only in that energy, then you will never feel me. I want to know that when it's needed, you can step out, okay? You can listen to me, feel me, okay, fine, everything is good, then go back into your alpha energy. That makes perfect sense. I never thought of it as the switching back and forth between the two quickly and integrating the switch. I was trying to f- always trying to figure out how to stay in both, and that's where the disconnect came from. Yeah, I, I don't even know if it's possible, but it's for sure, for sure very so. difficult to be in both energies at the same time. Um, and... The more, the more you learn to be present in two different states, the more it will become available. But even you know, one of I remember this practice in tantra. We were first focusing on one chakra with all your awareness, and then on the other, and then we're switching really fast until you were able to split your awareness into these two points, which is very difficult. Very difficult. You can train this, but you start by switching. You learn to switch and you learn to switch very fast. And eventually you may get to the point where you're able to be in both energies. But this does take practice. So focus on moving between the states and that will solve already (laughs) all the problems. Perfect. You got anything else, Martin? Yeah. Yeah, Let's rewind back to the, uh, since I'm a stingy (laughs) 50-year-old. Come on. We we have older listeners as well. 
online. Um, you were talking about being in these communities as as part of the practice, you know, and the results is that it's almost like you're reversing an age, right? So I think that <laughs> nugget, we probably got myself and some listeners like, whoa, wait a second, does that mean we need more sex? Is that, you know, or do we need to be more oh, in touch with our sexual selves? And that's a result of, you know, creating anti-aging qualities, I guess. Oh, of course. <laughs> I love the question. So if your sexual energy is the life force, then the more of this energy you can have, the more alive you will feel. But there is a bit of a... At this age, I would say it's essential for you to learn non-ejaculation. So notice what happens for men with age. At some point, it is hard to get it hard. And why? It's because ejaculation, like sex itself as well, but ejaculation on its own takes so much energy that your body is thinking like, okay, we no longer have so much energy to spare. So, so your body's protecting you from ejaculation by not giving you erection. So if you can learn non-ejaculation practices, which means that you can have sex without ejaculating, so you're not losing this energy, right? You're keeping it in your body then your body will be, okay, fine, we can have sex because actually we don't lose energy after sex. And if you go deeper into practices with energy, and here it's not even Tantra, but it's the practices of Dao from China. And Mantak Chia is like mm -hmm. the main guy in this field, right? So if you do these practices, they actually work with the energy to re-energize your body. So then you can properly use your sexual energy to like add vitality to your whole physical body. Um, so I would say, yeah, things that increase your life force energy, sexuality is one of them, being in love is one of them, doing things that you're absolutely passionate about. Like, if you love life, I find that, that life gives you more energy. So that's one thing. But secondly, absolutely, at this age, non-ejaculation practices. Dang, good homework. <laughs> yes. Well. All right, we went way longer than we usually go, um, but... Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Oh, hey, that worked with this podcast. Eh? We went way longer <laughs> see, than we usually go. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of Tantra. <laughs> the magic. All right. Uh, that That is a wrap. Um, thank you very much. Give everybody your your connection, your handles, where to find you, where to contact you if they want some some one-on-one -on -one coaching. Sure. So you can just search for Magda K. It's K-A-Y. And you're going to find me on YouTube. This is where I am most active. You're going to find me on Instagram. You'll find my website. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I have also online courses. I have a course about non-ejaculation, if that is what you're interested in. Yeah, but basically just Google my name and I think you'll find everything you, you want to find. That's awesome. Google my name. You'll find me. <laughs> Yes, um, there is there is a DJ with the exact same name as me. So in case you're wondering, no, it's not my side geek. That is not me. Girl or boy? A girl. Is she good? I don't know. I don't know. You I, haven't listened to it? She's got your same yeah, name. I know. But it's so weird because like, <laughs> I, I don't know where she's from because Magda is a Polish, Spanish and Arabic name. So like, she would have to be from one of those countries. And I'm just like. But then these countries don't use K as a last name because that's, that's my nickname. I'm Polish. No one can pronounce my real Polish name. So I don't, I don't know where she came from. Huh. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, now I'm going to have to check her out and you out. Great. <laughs> I got more more homework to do. All right. That's a wrap. That was good. Thanks, Magda. Thank you.